Bibles, we are still in the first chapter of the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, as we continue our verse-by-verse study of the book of James. If you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Hear now the written word of the living God. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know the grass will wither, the flowers will fall, but your word stands forever. Open our minds, our hearts to receive it this day. Remove every distraction that we might worship you through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Friends, this is our third sermon on our series in James. We started our series uh, three weeks ago, and we began by studying James chapter 1, the first four verses. And in those four verses, we immediately learned that James was teaching us as believers to expect trials, difficulties to come into our lives. But in that sermon, James says, for the believer, you can walk through those trials with joy. And then one week later, we started with verse 5 and went through verse 8. And we started talking about what I call the necessities of trials. That is, things that you and I need as believers to walk through a trial. And that Sunday, James said, there's, there's three necessities that we got to have to walk through any trial. And two weeks ago, we looked at one of those necessities. Do you remember what it was? It was wisdom. Look at verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks what? Wisdom. So in order to go through a trial, James says we need wisdom. And if you'll recall, two weeks ago, we learned so much about wisdom. We learned what to do, how to do it, how not to do it, what we know and what to expect. And simply put, James answers all those questions. He said, what are you to do for wisdom? You're to ask God for it. If you lack it, you need to ask God. You have not because you ask not. But how do you ask God? We learned that James says you ask him in faith, in sincerity. But how do you not ask God? James taught us that as well. James says, don't ask with doubt, like being tossed around in the waves of the sea. Do you remember this picture 
of being in the waves. You know, in the waves you are tossed to and fro, forward and backward. You're constantly being shaken around. It's a picture of someone who doubts. James also talked about the double-minded man. Don't ask with your thought. One time you're thinking, I'm going to trust God, but the next moment you say, oh, I doubt God. I don't even think about God. Don't ask in a double-minded way. Ask in faith and sincerity because of what we know. What do we know? That God is generous and that he loves to give without reproach. He is a good, good father. And that we should expect when we ask in faith for God to answer our prayer to have that wisdom. But if we don't ask in faith, if we ask in doubt, James says, don't expect anything. Only to expect to stay unstable in the waves of that sea that you're already in. So that was wisdom. We need wisdom. Friends, today, James moves us forward in the text. He takes us to the next, actually, Two steps. Now that we know we need wisdom, there's two more things James says that we need to go through trials. They're found in our text today. The first one is proper perspective. And the last one is steadfastness. And that's the concentration of verses 9 through 12. That's our outline this morning. If you have your bulletin, be sure to look on the back of your bulletin. Lord willing, that outline will help us all as we talk about these two subjects of perspective and steadfastness. But what's the second necessity? It is proper perspective. Look again with me at verses 9 through 11 in the text. James says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. Its its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. About a year and a half ago here at Redeemer, we went through a sermon series on Proverbs. Had about 16 different sermons out of the book of Proverbs. And one thing I love about Proverbs is it gives you great perspective on so many different Topics. Think about some of these with me. Work ethic. There's a scripture, Proverbs 14, 23, gives you great perspective about work. It says, in all toil there's a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. In other words, if you just talk about something and you never work at it, don't expect to get anywhere. That's great perspective on work. How about discretion? Proverbs eleven twenty two. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Talk about perspective. What a picture the proverb paints in chapter 11. You know, we all have problems with running our mouth from time to time. Proverbs gives us perspective on that. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 3. It says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. So many different topics in the Proverbs that give us such good perspective on how to live our lives. I want you to know, friends, that James is no different. In fact, we said, I think it was three weeks ago, that James is the most proverbial book in the New Testament. 
And James gives us such good perspective in much the same way the Proverbs do. James gives us these illustrations, these pictures of perspective. And today, how does he do that? He gives us the perspective of the poor man. And he gives us the perspective of the rich man. Let's look at those two perspectives. Chapter 1, verse 9, the first part. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Right here, James is talking about a man who was poor. Now, let's remember the context. James is writing to Christians in the dispersion. You remember that from verse 1? That means those who were outside the geographical boundary of Israel. And history teaches us that these Christians in the dispersion, many of them were very poor. They had low-paying jobs. It was a difficult economy. And it was a group much like today that would be looked down on because of their poverty. So we could definitely say that these poor were going through a trial in life. And I'm sure many of them, as many of us um, who are people who are poor now, they're very discouraged by that poverty. So James encourages these Christians who are poor. But how does he do that? Look at it. He tells these poor, he gives them encouragement by giving them a proper perspective of who they are in Christ. He reminds them of their standing with God. He says, look, the world might see you one way, but God sees you in a completely different way. God sees you in an exalted status. You might think you have a lowly poor status, but God sees you in an exalted status. He says it this way, let the lowly brother who knows Jesus boast in his exaltation. Think about it this way. The Apostle Paul identified with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says he too was poor. He said it this way. Paul was so poor that the world viewed him as the scum of the earth. The refuse of all things. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.13. But Paul also understood his relationship with Jesus. And Paul knew that the word of God taught him that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. It taught him that he was an adopted child of God and an heir of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, the world tells the poor man, the poor Christian, that you are to be cast aside because of your poverty by all men. But Jesus tells the believer who is poor, no, you actually have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. You have no riches on earth, yes, but Jesus says you're going to have glorious riches in heaven. In fact, Jesus tells all believers, there's many mansions in heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. The poor man might be physically hungry, but Jesus says he can eat spiritual bread of life. The poor man might be physically thirsty, but Jesus says he can drink of the well of living water. He's reminded in his lowly state to boast in his exalted state in Christianity. 
You see, Jesus, James in this text, they are calling the poor man to focus on an eternal perspective. Not simply the temporal perspective. The Apostle Paul teaches this in a text that Hunter read just a moment ago. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. Have an eternal perspective. Friends, the world might look at the poor Christians with a low rank, but God sees them with a high, exalted rank because they're children of God, heirs of the King of Kings. talking to Dan John the other day, or actually a few months ago, about early adolescence. Because I have children in early adolescence at my house. And I needed, I'm looking for guidance as a parent. How can I grow as a parent in talking to my children who are early adolescents? And he mentioned to me uh, a series by Dr. James Dobson made in the 1980s called Preparing for Adolescence. Everyone ever read that book or heard the, the CDs? Yes, yeah, a long time ago, Preparing for Adolescence. So I bought, the, I bought the CDs and I listened to the first one. And Dr. Dompson, this was years ago, he said that adolescence, early adolescence, man, many of them struggle with inferiority. And there's three main topics, three main reasons that adolescents struggle with inferiority. You know what they are? The way they look, how smart they are, and number three, how much money they have. And for those three reasons, reasons the world brings into their lives and says, you need to feel anxious, you need to feel unworthy because of the way you look or don't look, because of how smart you are, and because of how much money that you have. And Dr. Dobson says, this is the world trying to impose itself on your children. And he reminds us in that, in, that, uh, in that CD, specifically as it has to do with money, to have the right perspective. You see the world's view, but understand God's view. Just because you might be poor or in need doesn't mean you can't have an exalted status in the sight of God. Because how much money you have has nothing to do with Jesus as your Savior and Lord. It has nothing to do with whether you're a child of God or not. And that's what Paul is trying to tell these folks, or excuse me, James is trying to tell these folks in the book of James. It reminds me of Romans 8.18. Paul says it this way, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Friends, do you see the proper perspective? Maybe you're in a situation in your life where you don't have as much money as you'd like to have. You might, be, you, you might consider yourself poor and you, you're, you're feeling discouraged by that. Be reminded of who you are in the sight of God. Be reminded that you're a child of the King, that you know Jesus Christ and that He has made all things new in your life. That you have God as your Father, the Holy Spirit to walk with you through this life. Or maybe some of you have friends who are very discouraged because of their own poverty. Maybe you have the opportunity to speak into that person's life and remind them who they are in Jesus Christ. That they are too fearfully and wonderfully made in the sight of God. 
and that what's in their pocket, what's in their wallet does not determine the value of their life. That's the perspective he gives the poor man. But number two, he also gives perspective to the rich man. We've read it twice, verses 10 and 11. You see, not only in the dispersion were there those who didn't have much, the poor, there were those who had lots, the wealthy. On one side, this poor man needed encouragement of his standing with Jesus, but James realizes the rich man, he needs a different type of encouragement. Because James knew that in the heart of all sinful man, there's a tendency to focus on material things. There's a tendency to trust in temporal, material things. So he warns the rich not to be consumed with their wealth. Rather, he says, the rich man should use his wealth as an opportunity for what? Humility. Verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation, the Bible says. James is teaching the rich man that material things are only transitory in nature. They will never, ever bring long-term joy or stability into life. Don't view them that way. And to illustrate this, James appeals to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 7 says this, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. This is an illustration that every single one of us can identify with. I remember... 2002, Deirdre and I bought our first house over in uh, Denver, North Carolina. And I remember that first week we moved in, it was kind of mid-March, into March, kind of a early spring. As soon as we moved in, that first week, where did she go? To Lowe's. And what did she buy? Flowers to plant. And I remember at the time I was building a fence, a split rail fence. I had a two-man auger. My buddy and I had a two-man auger, so we'd drill all these holes for the fence posts. She said, bring that auger to the front yard, please. I want you to drill holes so I can plant my, my flowers. So we did. My buddy Nathan and I, we brought the auger. It was fun for us. Two guys with an auger, that's awesome. That's a good time. So we drilled all these different holes in the front yard, and she planted these beautiful flowers that she got from Lowe's in the spring and they look great, right? They, they look great in the spring, and they kind of lasted a little bit through summer. But, but once August, September, about this time of year, started rolling around, um, started getting a little cooler outside in September, the flowers didn't look as good as they did back in the spring. The grass of my new, of my new front yard didn't look as good either. The weather was changing, and what was starting to happen my grass was withering and her flowers were falling. Her flowers were falling. Scorching heat came. The fall came. Wind and cold came. This is what happens to grass. This is what happens to flowers. 
Friends, so it is with the rich man who puts his trust in his riches. If you put your trust in the things of the world, into temporary things, please know those temporary things will all pass away. There's a story I mention often from Matthew 19. It's the story of the rich young ruler. This young man runs up to Jesus. He's young and he's rich. Who doesn't want to be young and rich, right? He runs up to Jesus, but he has a burning question on his heart. Okay, there's something going on inside this young man. He runs up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Well, Jesus looks at the young man and simply says, Do the commandments perfectly. In other words, hey, if you don't sin, if you keep every commandment perfectly, if you do all this right, you're not going to have a problem because you would, you would have no need for a Savior. Now, what's Jesus trying to do? <laughs> He's trying to get the man to see that he can't do that and that he does need a Savior because he can't do the commandments perfectly. But being young, the young man says what? I've already done that. Doesn't even think about it, right? I've already done that. But there's still something burning inside of him because he keeps asking Jesus, what else do I have to do? Well, Jesus sees this young man's greatest need. He looks over and sees all the riches and wealth that this young man has. And he realizes that this young man loves his riches and his wealth more than he loves God. He loves the things of the world more than Jesus Christ. So he goes straight to the point. He tells the young man, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then come, follow me. And I wish I could tell you that the rich young ruler did exactly what Jesus did, said to do. Sell those things, give to the poor, and follow Christ. But what does the Bible say? He went away, how? Sad. Think about, think about that. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Friends, the rich young ruler, he did not allow his wealth and possessions to teach him humility. He didn't allow that. He wanted his wealth and possessions so much that he couldn't give them up to follow Jesus Christ. And what the text is saying to the rich man today is don't see your wealth and your possessions as something that you should have pride in or that uh, that you should feel like you're an owner of to make yourself feel better. See See the things that you have as an opportunity for what? Humility. To understand it was God who gave them to you. Look back to God, the author and finisher of all things, and be grateful for what you have. In other words, let your wealth point you back to Jesus. And if you can't let your wealth point you back to Jesus, you need to get rid of it, Jesus says. If you love the things of the world more than the things of God, Jesus says, cut your hand off, cut your foot off, pluck your eye out, whatever you got to do, make Jesus Christ first. Again, I don't think Jesus is saying to the rich young man, riches are inherently bad. 
That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you love your riches more than you love me, if you are going to put this before me, you need to get rid of it. Friends, we need to use any blessing that God has given us to let that point us back to him. Because like a flower of the grass, our riches will fade away. The sun will rise. The scorching heat will wither that flower. It will fall. Beauty perishes. And the rich man too will fade away if he doesn't have a proper perspective of his riches. So I want you to see that both cases, the poor man and the rich man, both perspectives that James teaches you point you back to Jesus. Poor man, see your exalted status that you have in Jesus. Rich man, see that the blessings that you've been given are from Jesus, not yourself. Use that to humble yourself before an almighty God. That's the perspective James teaches that we need to go through trials. So we've learned about wisdom. We've learned about proper perspective. Let's look at the last necessity. It's found in verse 12. The Bible calls it steadfastness. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Steadfastness, I love this word. It has a synonym, perseverance. Perseverance. We've already seen this term steadfast in verse 3 and 4. There's a picture we're going to put up of steadfastness. You you think about um, going the ups and downs of of mountains, uh, a steadfast turn person will stay constant as he goes up and down the mountains you know when I think about steadfastness I think about long-lasting persistence and I think about this guy Daryl Timberlake where are you Daryl there he is he's not here Daryl actually climbed those exact mountains that were up there no I think about Daryl because Daryl if you read his biography even online here at Redeemer what's his favorite thing to do Climb a 14er with his family. That's his favorite thing to do. And every summer, he goes out to Colorado with his family. And not only Daryl, but the whole family, right? Donna goes up a 14er. And listen, to go up a mountain like that, you have to have steadfastness. You have to have perseverance. You have to have staying power. Because as you go up a mountain like that, you're going to have trials, Right? You're going to have difficulties. There's going to be obstacles in your way. And you can't just wimp out. you got to have determination. Well, friends, James might not be talking about someone who climbs the Rocky Mountains, but he is talking about a man, a woman, a child who is dedicated, committed to following hard after Jesus Christ. Steadfast. James says three things about the steadfast man in this portion of the text. First of all, he says that the steadfast man is blessed or blessed. Sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? 
blessed are the poor in spirit, those type of things that Jesus says. There's a lot of similarity to James in the Sermon on the Mount. But this term blessed, it means more than happy. It means one who has joy and satisfaction in Christ. A man whose attitude does not depend on his circumstances. Rather, he lives above his circumstances because he's focused on his relationship with Jesus. A few moments ago, Hunter read this passage. This is from excuse me, Philippians chapter 4. We'll put this on the screen. Here is Paul's words concerning steadfastness and contentment. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned to, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, the Christian life is filled with trials. Through a trial, you need wisdom, perspective, you need steadfastness. In any trial, there's going to be things that go your way and don't go your way. There's going to be good moments. There's going to be bad moments. Paul himself experienced this in Philippi. He said, I've learned to be brought low and to abound. And in these times, I've been steadfast and content. I've learned to face plenty and I've learned to face hunger. And in these times... I'm content and steadfast. Times of abundance, times of need, learning contentment, being satisfied with my relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was blessed because he had learned that contentment of going through a trial in a steadfast way. It makes us ask questions of ourselves. Questions like, are we able to have joy in the midst of trial? Are we able to be content no matter what? So many times in life I just want to throw my hands up in the air in anxiety. Yet we realize that God has not left our side. God knows about this trial. He allowed it to come into our lives. We need to trust Him. Seek His wisdom. Seek proper perspective. And to be steadfast. Maybe we need to learn to be content with what we've been given. The second thing James describes the blessed or the uh, the steadfast man, he says he receives the crown of life. A crown is an athletic term. In fact, when a person would win an athletic event in the Bible times, a wreath would be placed on his or her head. This was a reward for persistence, determination, for steadfast victory. And Scripture teaches us that God will one day reward those who are steadfast under trial. In fact, in Timothy, the last book Paul wrote, he calls it a crown of righteousness. Peter calls it a crown of glory. But in this case, friends, steadfastness is a proof that a person has been given life by Jesus, the crown of life. And then third and finally, this steadfast man steadfastness the bible says it's an evidence that you love god look at the last line of verse 12 which god has promised to those this crown is god has promised to those who what who love him 
Here's a quote from a commentator. He says, A genuine Christian is not simply someone who made a profession of faith in Jesus at some single point in his life. But he is a person who demonstrates true faith by an ongoing love for God that cannot be damaged, much less destroyed. By troubles and afflictions, no matter how severe or long-lasting, like obedience to God's will, love of God is certain evidence of true faith. Well, friends, as we close this morning, as we reflect on not just on verses 9 through 12, but really 5 through 12, as we look at these three necessities of going through a trial, what do we, what do we learn? First of all, we learn we need wisdom. Why? Because we don't know everything. And we need to ask God for it because he tells us to ask him. You have not because you ask not. We need to ask in faith, not doubting like a wave of the sea, like a double-minded man, because God gives generously without reproach. Secondly, we need proper perspective. Whether we're poor or rich, we need to let those things point us back to our relationship with God. And then finally, we need steadfastness, perseverance, determination. Running with endurance, the Bible says, this life of Christianity, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author, perfecter of our faith. And I will leave you with this final verse from 1 Corinthians 15. This is toward the end of 1 Corinthians. And Paul leaves this last encouragement to the believers there specifically about steadfastness. Listen closely to these words, Christian. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be what? steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.